I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Oh my goodness. It's a counter-attack. It's Didier Drogba. And now get in the middle. Drogba goes. Good e- well, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you guys are listening. You know, you guys are tuning into another episode of Chelsea Hour. It's going to be a, um, a last minute one, but, you know, better late than ever. You know, better late than ever. Um, Timpson, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks for getting it in. It's not quite the same without a Chelsea podcast, is it? It isn't, man. Like, you, you know us, man. We, we, we got to feed the streets. You know, we, we, we can't let you guys go Friday, you know, weekend without hearing from us. And especially coming off the international rate, we, we know you guys are starting for some Premier League football. So let's get right into it. So, Timson, um, I don't know if you caught any of the um, international football, but me personally, I didn't catch anything apart from the Nations League. And um, I think one of the things I wanted to talk on a bit was um, with this common on fixture congestion, it's going to be interesting because... We've seen, we've seen the news today, you know, that Thiago Silva is going to be out tomorrow. Um, it looks like Rudiger is potentially out of a back injury. And, you know, we obviously knew Kante was out of an illness, but he's obviously back training. So are you a bit worried about this coming on with the coming on fixture congestion or how, how are you feeling in general? Um, taking it one step at a time. For the Brentford game, losing Antonio uh, Rudiger is always a bit of a loss because really there's nobody else that you think straight away he's the one that slots into that left centre-back role and obviously Thiago Silva I think it was clear from before the international break started that he wasn't going to be available because I think he does he get back on the day um, that of, of the Brentford game mm. but um, with the fixture congestion I think um, I saw Thibaut Courtois speech about it and um, how they don't really it's all about profit instead of um, the players well-being um, and it and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna take its toll on players. So um, having a deep in, having a deep squad for um, for Chelsea fans is obviously um, music to our ears. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That, that was actually one of the things I wanted to talk about because obviously, you know, with the, with the current fixtures coming up ahead, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be you know quick. It's gonna be quick. It's gonna be coming quick and fast. You know, we're coming up to that um, winter break. So you know, obviously, we've got the Brentford game, and then we have a Malmo away in, in the league. So in the Champions League, sorry, so. Having that um, squad cohesion from Tuchel, especially, you know, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting period because obviously we can't, you know, 
play the same team over and over again. So um, I just want to get your your thoughts. And so what are your expectations of Tuchel, you know, considering the run, the run that we have versus our rivals? You know, obviously we've got Brentford. Just looking at the Premier League, we've got Brentford at um, away, Norwich at home, Newcastle away, and then Burnley at home within our next four fixtures. So obviously that, that gives you potentially 12 points that you'd be hoping to get. So how, how are you feeling about that that running? Because obviously we know our, our rivals over at Moga, they've got a, well, rivals, you know, quote unquote, they've got a, a, a bit of a tougher run of games. I think Liverpool as well. So what, what are your expectations of, of um, Tuchel and the team coming, coming into that run of fixtures? Yeah, I'm quite optimistic because Tuchel uh, was brave and he made the decision to switch up the team after back-to-back losses in the Champions League and obviously in the league. And um, they seem to pay off for the most part against Southampton. And with the injuries that we're facing in the squad, as well as um, kind of building upon the changes that Tuchel made, bringing in the academy boys, uh, Loftus-Cheek, Chalabar, uh, Hudson-Odoi, it's an opportunity to see what he does and um, ultimately get like a good bit of um, form going, whilst obviously indirectly adding pressure to our rivals who will have more difficult games. Now, in regards to the Brentford game, I still expect us to play a particularly strong team. If we were playing someone like a Juventus or a Zenit midweek um, instead of a Malmo, I could, I, I, I'd be a bit more concerned or he'd look to make subs early. But I think um, we'd be expecting to win both games that week. Um, and as for the injuries to the, un- the unavailability of um, Thiago Silva and Antonio Rudiger, I think it's a good opportunity for someone like a Chalabar to step up against um, players who were last season playing in the championship, which he spent like three three years of his career playing in anyway. Mm. I, think that's, I think that is a good point. And obviously with um, Lukaku, you know, I think he he came out early from Belgium as well. So I'm not sure if he's gonna, if he will play tomorrow, but it'll be interested to see how you know Tuchel um, deals with that um, current squad squad rotation. So obviously, you know, looking at, at that Brentford game um quickly, you know, we we all know about the Brentford um, front two, you know, Embuemo and um Ivan Tony. You know, we we know how physical they are. We know how much they love going one v one with their defenders. So how are you feeling about that? Um, uh, that 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 proposition of not having a Thiago Silva or Rudiger as, as a as a typical physical um defender, you know, are you a bit worried? You know, because obviously it looks like it'll be potentially be um Aspi, um Chalabar and um AC back three. Um, are there any worries you have going in going into that game with that with those guys at the back, or are you fully confident that they'll be able to deal with their physical presence? Because obviously, you know, we saw against Liverpool. Even the likes of Van Dijk and Matip, they struggled. And we also saw, well, I was going to say Arsenal, but then you, you, Arsenal are look a man around here, you know, so I, I, I'll hand it back over to you. Yeah, so with uh, Aspilicueta, that's a seasoned professional. That's like you slot Aspi into any team um, or any fixture this season. And I don't think there's a Chelsea fan that's like, um, oh, he's going to be a problem defensively. So Aspie will give you what Aspie's given us um, throughout his Chelsea career. Uh, Trevor Chalabar, he's played in relegation sides um, at Ipswich, Huddersfield, uh, these teams that have um, tried to negate uh, quality by making it physical. So I think it's not it's something that he's accustomed to already. So him probably potentially playing left centre-back um, isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, if you had to have a concern, it's probably uh, Andreas Christensen. But at the same time, if he's the third midfielder, he probably will be less man-to-man um, in considerable spells of the game. But if I had to have a concern, it would be Andreas Christensen. But at the same time, I think he's um, come on leaps and bounds as well. Definitely agreed. And it will be interesting because obviously we know it's not just the front two. You know, we know they've got that extremely tall a midfield that they've got there as well. You know, they've they've also we've also seen some good performances, especially from um the likes of um Norgard as well as Onyeka. So seeing those guys against our midfield, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a very, very interesting battle because they also play the three at the back. So I think it may be a, a, a kind of like a toe to them trying to go toe to toe with us physically, not in terms of on the ball, but I feel like they're gonna try and rough us up a bit. So yeah, that, that's gonna be an interesting game. And obviously, you know, if you guys are um if you guys aren't part of the Discord, make sure you head down there because we will obviously be discussing that game there as well. So, um, yeah, so going on a bit more into um, the squad rotation aspect of, 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 um, of, the, of what we're going through with the, with the running, um, we've obviously seen 
the likes of um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you know, having his um, remontada, you know, I've got to hold my hands up. You know, he's he's really, really proved me wrong that he can actually play in the double six. You know, I did say that I don't think he could do it, but it's very good to be proven wrong. And, you know, I can't I can't hold it against him, you know, about just, just how good he's been performing. You know, we saw him um, starting against Southampton, you know, he had a really good performance. And obviously as well, Ross Barkley, you know, a player that I know you... He, I don't think he divides fans, but I feel like a lot of fans don't tend to give him the the props he, he made. I feel fans are more apprehensive to you know to give him props, but obviously seeing him come off the bench as well showed us just how much strength and depth we have. So with those two, um, is there any possibility you'd, you'd like to see them play against Brentford in, in the double six or even in the double te- in even in the twin ten position? Um, or are, are you more inclined to go with the typical you know Jorginho, Kovacic, and then Mount and another guy in in, in the twin tens? Forgive me, it was Ruben and who? Um, Ruben and Barkley. Yeah, Barkley, he's still got a ways to go in terms of being someone that I regularly want to see uh, involved in games, even if that's coming off the bench. Ruben, I would love for him to get the opportunity to build up on the form, um, giving players uh, like Jorginho, who really did get the runaround against Spain, uh, the opportunity to kind of um, rest up. And obviously, covers there as support. And I think for that midfield, having a big physical person, but with the technical prowess that he does, um, will be particularly good because Brentford's press is not dissimilar to Southampton's as well. So I'd like Ruben definitely. As for Ross, probably um, still need. I still need. A, I still need some evidence that he's someone that I should be putting my faith in because obviously we've seen him pre-seasons before and um, he's disappointed when the real seasons come through. So um, I'm not getting carried away by his kind of increase in form. You know, I think that, I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. You know, I, I think Barkley is the kind of player that I, I would. I think he's one of our, if not our most creative players that we've got in the team at the moment. And I, I would like to see him play, but it would obviously, as you said, you know, he, I think he needs to build out that form. You know, obviously fit these current fitness issues. You know, we've seen him. You know, having a bit of like a turbulent time. You know, um, up in um, up in um, at Villa. So, yeah, let's let's see. Um, so yeah, I'm talking about the, the Brentford game a bit more. Um, what type of lineup are you expecting to see? You know, are, are you are you expecting to see um a similar lineup to the Southampton game, or would you want to see a bit more just going back to you know the stronger kind of lineup we've seen? I'd like to see a bit of a mix. So um trust was placed in Ruben Loftus-Cheek, trust was placed in uh, Hudson Adoy, and for the most part, those individuals uh came through. And I'd like to see that trust rewarded but obviously I'd also like to play our strongest possible side given the players that are available so a combination of trust and um, overall quality will Mason Mount come into the team after the England performance that would be interesting to see probably so if we're not going to play um, someone like Jorginho and we're going to go with the um, double pivot but then if Mason Mount comes in I can see Hudson Najori dropping out um, but I can also see um, Chile B obviously coming in and um, building upon his good performances for England as well. So uh, to answer the question, I would say a combination of um, rewarding the players that did the job for him at Southampton and as well as trying to get as strong a squad as possible um, whilst taking into account those good performances. So you, and I know you just um, branched on a bit about um, Chilwell's performance for England. I, I wasn't able to, I saw a couple of highlights, but I didn't really get to see So, uh, coming off of, coming off of that performances, what, what what were you able to see that you know that really struck you? Was there any like changes in, in stuff like his um his approach to his game? Does he looking a bit sharper? Like what what was it especially that you felt that would um aid in his um his battle to get back in over Marcus Alonso starting for us? Well, he's defensively more uh, reliable and dependable. Um, I don't know. It, it was actually scary viewing watching Marcus Alonso in a back four. Um, and he inadvertently changed the system at times to a back three. Um, but for the most part, Ben Chilwell, he just carried on the way he finished the previous season, really lively, full of energy, defensively resolute. And um, his confidence has just um, been built upon. And um, he's had a nice a nice time away with England after being originally left out and obviously he's come back having scored his first ever England goal so um, I think he was already um, in it on his way to starting regularly um, after the Southampton game and I would just build upon that um, 
given how he's performed in the international break and Alonso is also he hasn't set the world alight. Mm, I, th- I think that's I think that's definitely fair enough. And yeah, I would probably echo you. I would like to see you know Chua come back in. I think with this current running of fixtures, and this is like the perfect time to get fitness. You know, we're not we're not exactly facing the, the most difficult opposition, and I am hoping to see a, a bit of like stability, you know, going forward. Because obviously, you know, with, with Lukaku, we're going to come onto this right now. Um, I feel like he's he, he he's, he's spoken about how he wants to play. You know, he's spoken about how we how his strengths are, and I feel like one of the the biggest issues will obviously be stability, you know, like having a stable um, um, attack around him, you know, that you can trust, you know, build a connection with. I mean, like that'd be key, you know, to actually get him, getting him these consistent types of chances whereby we're not just, you know, feeding him off scraps, we're actually giving him that like, clear-cut stuff. So, yeah, um, coming on to Lukaku now, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people, there's been a lot of um, discussion about him, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, he's a flat-track bully. You know, I was to ask you: Is would you would you call Lukaku a flat track bully, or are people reading too much into this big game narrative? Yeah, they're very very deceptive because obviously people see goals, and um, that's what they see in those big games. But Lukaku's tactical um, diversity allows us to play a certain way that we necessarily wouldn't have been able to play last season. Um, and that in itself um, adds value to the squad and um, poses a threat because um, whilst they're trying to deal with um, the tactical issues that Lukaku has as a focal point occupying two defenders, uh, Chelsea still have players that they had last season who are now more experienced with an extra year in the team that can um, still make runs in the channels, that can still buzz around and, and, and be problematic. Um, but no, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's uh, fair to call him a flat track bully because I've seen him do it in big games as well. I've seen him do it in Milan derbies. I've seen him score against Juve. Um, he just hasn't scored against um, the bigger clubs at the moment now. But you look at the context of who we've played in terms of the big games. Man City, like, did we give him any service? We were trying to exploit the counter. So he was receiving the ball to hold and very much trying to feed in Timo with his pace to exploit that high line. Then um, Juve, yeah, he had that chance, but everyone has, has off, off nights. I've seen him score against them before and I think he'll do it in the return leg um, at home. Then um, Liverpool, obviously being down to 10 men, um, he was a focal point that helped us alleviate some of the pressure because at one stage it was almost like an onslaught um, and having score, expecting a player um, to kind of so devoid of any support um, besides Mason Mount, who was somewhat behind him anyway. Um, it's unrealistic to expect him to score in that scenario. So um, I feel like a little bit of context is needed there. Mm, definitely, definitely, I would definitely agree. And the, the next part of it, I, I want to ask you is, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because you know, we looked at it last season on the two course specifically. You know, we didn't struggle in the big games, you know, we didn't struggle, you know, in terms of controlling them, you know, getting the goal to win the game. But it was actually the smaller games you know, that we actually really struggled in. So, even if he is a flat trap, is that necessarily a bad thing? And isn't that what we what we actually need, you know, looking forward. And I also to get your thoughts on that in terms of that um, angle of the question. So if he used to be a flat track bully, is that really a bad thing? You know, seeing as where our weaknesses really did lie. I do not think it's a bad thing, even if it was true. Um, as you said, we struggled against those the Newcastles of the of the Premier League that just sit there, concede possession and say, go and beat us. That's where Lukaku comes in. Okay, you're going to give me all the time in the world in terms of... Um, like not pressing me when I'm in a certain area, um, chances will come. I'm that focal point that will dominate in the air and be the problem that um, Chelsea didn't have to give you last season. And then when it comes to these bigger games, this is where I put my stock in Tuchel as um, one of the top three managers in the league. Um, And more often than not, he's come out trumps against um, managers when it comes to those big games tactically. Um, So I'd look at him to come up with a system to win more so than Lukaku. Um, Lukaku in those scenarios would just be a, a, a valuable piece to use. No, I, de- I definitely would agree. And yeah, in terms of my opinions, you know, as 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 you mentioned, you know, we we've seen him score the big goals, you know, for Inter last season. So we've also seen him get a couple, you know, in the Euros as well, you know, this this summer. So I do feel as though people do look into it a bit a bit much. 
However, I, I would I would also say you know in, in the big games I'm also gonna be, I'm going to be looking to see you know get, do doing a bit more in terms of like consistency of like final ball. You know I feel like he could have done a bit better in some games. You know, and you know if he's you know this world class striker that we've been told he is, I'm expecting to put away these chances. You know like the, the chance against you know Juve, and it was a half chance, but hey look the, the top strikers they put that away. You know we saw that yesterday. We saw that um not yesterday sorry um Sunday. You know, in the Nations League, you know, with, with Benzema's goal from like not even a half chance, you know, like just making a moment of magic, you know, and and sit and and just like setting it, setting it alight for the team. So, in terms of me, I do think people are reading a bit bit too much into the big game narrative. You know, obviously, you only play you only play what eight of them, sixty if if that, you know, during the season. So, if he's you know bullying the other you know fourteen teams in the league, will I be complaining? Probably not. You know, probably not. That that would give me a good return. So yeah, going on a bit further on now. You know, this also you know pertains to Lukaku. You know, is the Ballon d'Or thirty man list. You know, obviously before we really discuss, we've got to obviously congratulate um the Chelsea men's and women's players who were obviously put up on, on into their respective lists. You know, talking about the, the men's list a bit more specifically. You know, we always saw Jorginho. You know, we saw Kante. We saw Mount. We saw Aspi specifically. And the reason, the reason I wanted to do um, talk about those ones was because obviously they, they were the guys who didn't you know coming off Chelsea and obviously Rom, you know, coming off his season at Inter Milan. So, um, Tim, so I wanted to get your initial thoughts on that um, 30 man list. You know, were there any surprises, you know, in terms of uh, omissions and um, inclusions, or do you think this was like a, a well deserved um, nom- nomination list for, on, on our hand? There's always going to be different opinions. Obviously, really pleased that Mason Mount managed to make that list. Um, J5 and the like, um, I think based on what they did in the Champions League and in the European Championships, J5 deserved it. Uh, obviously, I think it's more, the focus should be more about the omissions um, from a Chelsea perspective. Obviously, Edouard Mendy, um, this is a player, this is a goalkeeper who set kind of records in the Champions League. He came in for a um, world record um, goalkeeper and he's just been brilliant. He makes him seem like he makes it obsolete um, aside from the old penalty shootout. And this was a player who was, um, if there was no goalkeepers included in that 30 man shortlist, I could just be like, okay, fair enough. They've just gone for outfield players. But the fact that, um, Donnarumma has been included, but Mendy hasn't. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a similar. I'm, I'm uh, sorry. I'm, a, I'm of a similar mind with the Senegalese players um, like Koulibaly and um, Mane in regards to yeah, it's ridiculous the over that player being overlooked. But for the most part, um, I don't really have a strong opinion um, outside of that one particular um, player being omitted from the squad. What about you, Babs? Um, yeah, I think I've got I've got echo your opinions. You know, I, I don't I, I don't have any issue with any players that were you know nominated. I was I was half surprised that Mountain got nominated. I won't, I won't lie, and even Aspie, but coming off of um a strong season, you know, I guess you know when you when you get that Champions League, you know, you you do get that extra bit of clout. So I'm not exactly gonna be complaining. You know, it was good obviously good to see Rom you know get nominated as well. You know, coming off a very very strong season for Inter, you know. The league's MVP, you know, Inter's top scorer and top assister, you know, he was literally top for all of their um their key stats from from chance creation to just like just everything. So I do think that those um three in terms of Jorginho Kante and um, Rom especially do deserve it. And um I want to get your opinion. Do, do you think um Mendy's um being snubbed? Do you, do you think that has to be have to do with him being an African goalkeeper? Because obviously, you know. Mane and the other Senegalese players made made the point, and I, I've got to agree. You know, I, I to to see. A goalkeeper that you know that 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 came in as you said for a record-breaking goalkeeper, and not only that, he made his own records in the Champions League in terms of clean sheets, including in the final itself. I do think that's pretty pretty insane, and I I I do have to like look a bit like mm, you know they included what was it, um Donnarumma and um I forgot who the second goalkeeper was. Oh, I, 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 I'll I'll obviously correct that later, but I know they they included two other goalkeepers. So seeing them, you know, being included but not, you know, the, obviously the, the Champions League winning goalkeeper, I thought that was a bit of a of a weird one. So yeah, and um, in terms of um our chances, Tim, so do, do you think we have a chance of having a winner here, in terms of um an actual Ballon d'Or winner this year, or are you are you just hoping to just just enjoy the wave as it as it goes? 
Nah, for me, I think it wouldn't shock me if it was someone like Lewandowski, um, particular, maybe even Messi again, just for the fact that you look at what he did last season and you look at the state of Barcelona now, it looks even more um, remarkable, the achievements that he, he did in that Barcelona squad. That is just a joke. So I think for me, it's one of those two. I wouldn't be upset if, um, if Robert Lewandowski got it because... Last time when it was last cancelled, he was pretty much a shoe in to win it. So I think it would be justice for him to win it at this point again, after especially after the record breaking season he had in the Bundesliga for goals. Um, Jorginho is probably the closest that we've got to it. Um, ultimately, he wasn't, um, I don't think he's had the season outside of winning those two European competitions. Um, I don't think he's had that um, mastermind level um, individual performances this season to kind of compete with um, those two players in particular. So um, I think as Chelsea fans, we should just be happy to get as many players nominated for this one as as we did. Mm, fair enough. Do you, do you think I've been a bit harsh on Jorginho there? You know, obviously, you know, coming off of um, two strong campaigns for club and country. Or do you, do you, do you, like, do you think he... Obviously, you know, we still ever, you know, speak about it as well as um the, obviously the Italian and Chelsea managers. And, you know, obviously, you know, where you look at Jorginho's key role, especially for Italy, do you not think that, you know, maybe that um, holds a bit more um, weight? You know, do you think just obviously with, with the sheer consistency that we've seen up from the likes of um, Lewandowski and Messi throughout a season, do you, do you think those two weigh up differently? You know what, Babs, I think you might be right that um, I'm being slightly harsh because he did play key roles. He quickly went from who's going to be partnering Kante, Kova or um, Jorginho to who's going to be partnering Jorginho um, if um, Kante, ideally if he's fit, or Kovacic. Um, and then he was obviously central to that very, very talented Italian midfield that won the European Championship. So uh, maybe I'm downplaying his performances um, this last season. But um, in regards to the, like he played key roles, but um, the players that I mentioned, Messi and Lewandowski, there were um, several times where they carried their teams through um, through spells of the season, and um, their absences were felt when they when they weren't there. Not to say Jorginho's wasn't. And um, obviously, you throw in the consistency that Robert Lewandowski and um, Le- Messi have um, produced over the years. Um, and this is very much a very, very good outline season for Jorginho. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll still put those other two ahead for those reasons. No, I, I do think I, I do think that's fair. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, have been um, <laughs> a lot of people are getting quite annoyed, you know, from Chelsea fans and um, you know, obviously putting Jorginho there because obviously it was the whole joke of um, you know, obviously after the Champions League, everybody was saying, you know, it's Kante, you know, going to see Euros, you know, it's Kante's gonna you're gonna you're gonna secure it. I mean, obviously Italy winning, it was like, okay, you know what, we're gonna jump on the on the Jorginho train. But yeah, for me personally, I, I think I, I think I'd agree. You know, I, I do think, you know, he he probably does deserve to be um, you know, up there in terms of getting like the top, like maybe within like the top 10, top 15. But as you said, you know, I can't take away from the consistency of um of a season. And then the day the Ballon d'Or is, is an individual um award, you know, so it should also always go to the best individual performance. You know, obviously not everyone's gonna be not everyone's gonna agree with us, but I do think it's fair. Um so I, the, the second question I'm gonna ask you about that is um if it was between um, those current Chelsea players, you know, including Rom, so obviously Jorginho, Kante, Mar, and Aspia Rom, who do you think would be the most deserving winner out of those um, five? Oh, now this is it's where a tough I one, isn't it? Yeah, I would probably get close. It'd probably be a two-horse race between uh, Rom for what he did, winning the title for the first time in a long time with Inter. And then obviously everything Jorginho did in terms of the European Championships and the Champions League. Uh, I'll probably just about edge it to J5 um, because he was so integral, not to say Lukaku wasn't, but this was a player who also has an underdog story as well to him. Sorry, son, the guy who couldn't make it. Um, going from someone who, what is the start, he's detrimental to our best player, Kante, um, to kind of being a, a leading man at club and country level, so um, I'd give it to it's it's got a feel good factor to it that um, puts him just ahead of Lukaku for me. Yeah, I do think that's fair enough. I I think it would be tight between him, Kante, and Rom. 
But for me personally, you know, when, when I look at the season that Lukaku had at Inter, you know, leading the, the team to their first, you know, um, Scudetto in, in God knows how many years, you know, against the odds, you know, against Ronaldo, Leda, um, Juve. I think for me that just about edges it. You know, I think Kante as well, he's got a, he's also got a, an equal um, claim to it as much as Jorginho, because for me personally, he was a lot but he performed a lot better in the Champions League as it was anyway. So I do think it would be a bit tight between those two. But yeah, you know, for me, either way, you know, having any Chelsea player win it would always be nice. You know, it would always be nice to have the bragging rights. And I know it will definitely, 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 you know, uh, uh, annoy the ops. So, um, yeah, that, that was a good section. So to come on to um, another one, I want to do, I want to do a, a quick a quick transfers, you know, section. You know, it's, it's a bit weird, obviously, with it being October, but obviously with um, Newcastle's um, current um, sale going through, you know, Another another big money club coming into, into the mix. You know, is it seemed that is being coming out that they've actually identified um, Timo, um, Ruben, and Barkley are transfer targets. And I want to get your opinion on that. You know, w- would you be happy to sell to them? And if so, um, would you do you think we'd need replacements for um, any of them if we were to do that? Um, Barkley, I wouldn't have too many um, reservations about selling Timo either. These are players that um, are to get the best out of them. You need to be playing niche roles. A two-man attack is very um, niche at the moment, uh, especially with a big man, little man partnership, which is where we saw the best Timo. Ross, I think um, at this point, he's never going to be a starter for Chelsea. He's never going to hit the promise and be that new Gaza that he was labelled with when he first broke through at Everton. So for him to just kind of have a solid England career, um, playing regular regular football at a team in transition. Um, so maybe we could see him, we could see Villa in um, the next few seasons transitioning to uh, what West Ham are doing at the moment. Um, he And for him to be a big part of that would be really, really good for Ross and his um, international prospects. So I wouldn't have any reserve, reservations about selling either of those players. Um, and to be honest, Timo particularly, if I could, if I could have him never sign or just leave the squad now, I probably would, just for the fact that um, he's such a niche player, and um, we signed him not realizing how um, niche he is in terms of what he can give us and the best conditions to get the best out of him. Mm, do, you, do you think you're being a bit harsh on, on, on Timo? You know, obviously, you know, we we seen you know, as useless as he can be, you know, in front of goals. We 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 did see you know against um, Southampton the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know. Obviously, with his constant pace for it, you know, he is obviously a, a constant um, worry for defenders. And we did see, you know, obviously, you know, he missed a couple of chances, but he also got that goal. So do you think um, you're underrated is important, important to our attack? Or do you think our attack is basically in spite of him, if that makes sense? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, um, maybe saying I wish we never signed him um, goes a bit too far, so I'll take that back. Uh, he's had good spells. He always works hard, puts in a shift. But um, in terms of his um, tactical diversity, there is a reason why he wasn't brought on um, when we were chasing the game at Juventus because his game is all about spacing behind and that was something that wasn't there. And then even if there's no spacing behind, for me, you should be able to face up your man, work the space to either beat him or put in a cross and be dangerous um, with players in front of you. Timo cannot do that. He looks very confused when he's faced up with a man. Um, and I'm surprised he hasn't been working on his one-on-one um, take-on skills either. 
Um, so for that, for that, those kind of um, shortcomings, um, I still have, I'd still be happy to see him leave now. Fair enough, fair enough. And um, if he was to leave, you know, would you think we need a replacement for him? Because obviously he he was obviously our, our tied top goal scorer last season and he probably is one of our biggest goal threats, as scary as that is to sound, um, coming off coming after um, Lukaku. So do you think we need to replace him? And if we were to, um, who would you like to see, you know, coming as a replacement for him? Um, I'd like someone... Uh, first of all, I wouldn't want someone to be a like-for-like team or replacement. I think with the likes of Hudson Adoy, um, Pulisic, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, we have players who can play in those two ten positions. Um, and if if needs be, if we wanted to go with pure wingers for um, a different system, um, Timo, someone who wouldn't suit that anyway, and he doesn't suit the role of a centre forward. So uh, I wouldn't want a direct replacement. I'll probably want someone similar in the mould of Lukaku, just for the fact that I'm a bit concerned about the amount of playing time. So if he's fit, he will play and he will play the full 90. We don't have anyone to even bring on just for like the last 10, 15 minutes of Lukaku and retain the same semblance of a tactical game plan because... As soon as you bring on Timo Werner for uh, Romelu Lukaku, the system changes and the way the team plays in terms of getting the ball into the striker changes. So uh, I wouldn't mind someone um, in the mould of who who can be kind of like a target man and um, offer kind of running in behind the way Lukaku does. So to just name off some names, potentially um, Alexander Isaac um, could do a bit of hold up play, but also very adept at running in behind and um, mm, causing trouble with his movement. And um, obviously, uh, there's uh, I'm a big fan of um, a young man called Benjamin Sesco up in uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Been very, very, um, he's been lightly compared to Erlen Haaland, doesn't have the same level of blister and pace, but he's got that speed, that instinct for goal and that left foot that um, is just, it's just technically more attractive um, seeing a, a left-footed player um, just curl balls in with finish his chances with his left foot so probably those two um, players of that mould um, to kind of alleviate some of the pressure for Lukaku whilst also kind of getting some invaluable game time at a top level club would probably make a lot of sense mm, I, think that's a, I think that's a very bad answer. In, in terms of me um, for me I'm, I'm, I'm half and half you know about whether, whether I'd um, want to sell them you know because if it was to um, a foreign team I'd be happy to do that but Selling to another team, you know, in the league to strengthen them. I'm not sure how I feel about that. You know, I'm not sure because um, obviously, you know, Newcastle with, with this um, influx of money, it probably would be nice, you know, to get the cash from them straight away. You know, just get the money, you know, early on because you know how like people use this joke. You know, Everton, you know, oh yeah, yeah I, I, I can sell this this squad player to Everton for forty million. You know, and obviously, you know, people are going to be looking at Newcastle like as that for the first couple of um seasons but it does look as though they're going to be a bit more um strewed that with their signage you know in terms of like getting a proper director of footballer in you know a proper like chief um operator so I, I do think that'd be interesting but if it was up to me at Bar- Barkley Barkley I would sell I would sell because I, I do think um as um as effective as he can be coming to the bench um occasionally I'm not sure about how consistent he's going to get an opportunity to do that and I do think, you know, it would be beneficial for him to, you know, get some minutes and, as you said, you know, to really stake his thing for England because I don't think I don't think he's actually far off the England squad, you know, if, if, if he's on form, you know. He's, I think I still think he's a quality player. I think he's got a lot of um, quality in, in his game and we, and we did see, you know, before he got injured for Villa, how good he played. But obviously, as we said, is that having that consistency of game time, consistency not to get injured, I think that's another one. And same for Ruben, you know, I, I don't think he's too far off the England team either. But when I look at the England midfield, I don't, I don't think of it as like, the strongest area to, in terms of difficulty to get in. So if it was an attacker, yeah, then fair enough. But in terms of the midfield, you know, Rice and Phillips, Mount, Mount in that midfield three, I, I think Ruben can easily, you know, pip, pip them. And coming from me, you know, who's not exactly been the, the, the biggest um, of supporters of him through his injury, you know, to, to my detriment. But I do, I do think, you know, he, he could do it. And for his own benefit, if it was to go to Newcastle, you know, to, for him to get um, a season a bit in before... Um, Next year, November's and World Cup. I do think that would be important for him to do that, you know, just just, just to stay his name. Um, in, and in terms of Timo, the only reason I wouldn't um want to sell him is because I think he'd be the one that you'd actually have to um go out into the transfer market and replace, you know. 
And to replace goals in the, in the January transfer window, I don't think it's, it's that easy. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it... Hold on, Brad. Did, did, did you just say team on goals? Look, as I said, man, he's our second top goal scorer. You know, like, I, 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 know, I know he's not scoring a lot, but we're starving out here, brother. We're, we're starving. You know, we're starving for the goals. And... I will give you one player who will give you very, very similar like-for-like output and probably and more than likely will score more goals. I will give you one name off the top of my head. Within Chelsea. Not not within Chelsea. And that's but someone my point. That we could bring that's in my point. At, right? Someone I that think... we could bring in at, at, at a fraction of the price if we if if we acted today. Who? Karim Adeyemi. Bro, that's not come on, man. We, we know we're not going to sign him in a, in a in a January transfer window. As a release I... clause, it's very cheap in really? comparison okay. to what we okay. Okay. You know what? You know what? I'm listening. You know what? I'm listening. Mate, mate, I wasn't I wasn't aware of him having a having a low release clause, especially coming in January. But I know we were linked um a couple of years back, and I, I know he, he was a bit apprehensive to join us, obviously, with um how we dealt with, with, with you players. So that'd be interesting. But to get a player like that, I think due to the age he's at, he he he's the kind of player he needs game time, you know. So I'm not sure how likely it is for him to come in and us to play him consistently enough. Because I don't think he's the kind of player he's going to come in and be happy to like sit on the bench if you get what I mean. But I don't think that's actually, I think I think that's a good name. Um, if, I, if I was going to talk about other replacements, I'd, I'd like to see a, a, a Gori. You know, um, he plays for Nice. You know, and he's been probably their, their best performer this season. He's he's actually um currently um in line for I believe the um, league arm player of the month. You know, he's had a very very strong start to the season. He's been there, I think he's been their top creator as well. You know, he's he's goal scorer. He's also a creative player. So. I do think having a player like that would also be good for us. You know, if I was to like him to another guy, I think I'd probably go with him, Karim Benzema. You know, he's he's obviously got five goals and three assists in eight games so far this season. So we you can already see that the, the level of output he has. He's very creative in terms of like getting a um, chance for his team. You know, he's he's also quite um good in front of goals. So I think having that kind of guy, you know, he could play in the twin tens and strike could be another good replacement. Um, I, I think if any team were to go for that kind of player, I think it would be a Liverpool. You know, just to replace a, a, a Firmino, but yeah, as you said, you know, if there are replacements, for, if that like, if there are replacements for Timo in January, I'd be happy to sell him. But I'm not sure how easy it's going to be to replace him. If you get what I mean, like, I, I'm not sure how willing players are going to be to move to us in January. I don't know what you yeah, think about I hear that. that. I'm like getting players in January. I just feel like you have to. It's it's an emergency transfer window. It's exactly. not one where you do significant business, but. Obviously, I've already said with the players that we already have in the squad, Pulisic, uh, hudson Adoy, I don't think we necessarily need to replace Timo because playing out wide off the striker, we've got those two players that can do that job as well as um, Havertz and Mason Mount. So adding another one in addition to Ziyech as well, um, I don't really see the need. So that's why I was looking at someone like a um, Benjamin Sesco and Alexander Isaac or even one of my Italian favourites, Gianluca Scamacca, um, someone who can deputise as that kind of um, target man uh, when Lukaku needs um, to be rested. Mm. And I'm also talking about um, transfers, uh, a name you mentioned there, you know, Christian Pulisic, you know, obviously he's going to be available for, he's actually been unavailable for 10 out of, t- of 12 of Chelsea's games so far this season. And he's also been confirmed to miss out on Brentford's game, you know. Um, shout out to Alexis. He's got a very interesting um, spreadsheet going on, you know, out of the 836 days he's been available to Chelsea, he's missed 334. So he's been injured for, throughout those. So that's 40, 40% of days he's been injured. So with the summer coming, with um, you know, with his contract, you know, in, into his last two years, do you think it's time to to let him go and, and sell him? Or would you do you think it, it will be a smart choice to extend his deal? Because obviously, you know, selling him now. You know the injury worries it would be probably on the cheap what, what do you think about that Timson? well um he can still add value when he's at his best but I still think he needs to round out his game be um continue to be a consistent threat um making those late run, late man runs um show me you can dominate games outside of a post lockdown project restart patch um, so I wouldn't be upset if he kind of, if someone said to him, look, you've got a lot of players in front of you in the pecking order. You can't stay fit. Um, and when you do come back, you still have a ways to go to even get those minutes because you still have that long queue ahead of you in the pecking order. 
Um, I wouldn't be opposed to him going out on loan the same way Ruben did and said, show me for at least one season you can stay fit. Um, if Andy Carroll could do it last season at Newcastle, surprisingly, then um, Christian Pulisic should be expected to at least do the same um, for a season. Then, um, obviously, put across some good performances, not necessarily um, keep a relegation side up, not to say that he has to go to a relegation side. I think he's more than good enough to go to a team challenging for Europe on the table. Um, but have that good season under that full season under your belt where you're that guy, you start when you're available, um, no questions asked, and you're fit. Um, because if you're not available, you're not reliable. Mm. You, you say that, but do you think it would be a wise choice, you know, to, to loan him, you know, going going on with only one year left in his contract? Or do you think that could pose a bit of a a worry? And do you think he would actually want to go out on loan? You know, obviously, you know, he's a player of, you know, quite high stocks, you know, at Chelsea. And it would be an interesting one to see whether he'd be willing to go on loan you know, at, at this point in his career. Honestly, I think he'd be taken back by the notion of him potentially going on loan. I think he does miss his family, but he does enjoy being in London. Um, so going on loan would be a bit of a like, no, I'm not really trying to do that. But in terms of the bigger picture for his long-term development, um, getting regular minutes, because uh, I don't think he deserves regular minutes at this point in time. And um, honestly, the only thing that's... Uh, that he's that's giving him hope right now is the fact that we don't have a front um a, a, an attacking two that behind Lukaku that's really really clicked um so he'll always be into consideration as long as there's not a, there's not a two that's working really really well so if there was he'd have to work he, he'd be in a similar situation to Sal in terms of they've got a proven system that's working and when that, 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 that's a name that I forgot about <laughs> when's he gonna well, when's he gonna get the minutes to kind of show that he can add value um and compete because the two are playing so well and even the even the players on the bench ahead of Saul are doing well. Um so yeah, Christian Pulisic. Um it might sound a bit extreme to send him on loan, but he needs to show he can give us he can be available for a full a full season. Um how much football he gets, um depends on how well the other the other attackers are are doing but at the moment he's got a chance because there's not um one attacker at the moment who's kind of being like I'm the one who's um clicking with Lukaku uh let alone two mm. yeah no I, I do think that's fair enough and I'm talking about that um three the two sorry but behind Lukaku you know we, we also mentioned earlier in the show but if it were up to you and you were to have um a run of you know over the next five fixtures you know, having a consistent front, um, consistent two behind the strike, behind Lukaku. Who, who would it, who would those two be for you? Oh, it's tough because I obviously, you know, um, I have an affinity towards um Callum Hudson Odoi, and just having at least one player to give us consistent width on the left hand side would be amazing. Uh, coupled with Kai Havertz, who's a player that we've placed a lot of stock into for the long haul, um, and his ability to find space and almost double as a secondary striker um, and be um, a, 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 an aerial threat to defences would be quite interesting to see, but I can't overlook the tactical um, importance of Mason Mount. So if I could, without kind of any word for any concern for a kind of tactical shape and um Fluidity, I'd probably say um, Hudson Adoy and Kai Havertz, but um, I, ca I can't see Mason Mount being left out of the team for particularly long. Mm, I do think that's fair. I do think that's fair. You know, so are you are you going with, with Mount and Havertz or is that a Mount and Cho? I'm gonna go. What I want to see is obviously Cho playing that left hand side in his best position. Um, so I'm going to go Cho and Havertz, but realistically speaking, um, it's going to be, I'd have to choose um, Havertz and Mason because they're probably the best at finding space and the best at, bal uh, at balancing attacking, uh, attacking defensive shape. Mm. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I would agree with that. If it were up to me, I, I would go with probably Cal and Mount or... Mount or um... Or Cho, um, Mount or um, or Havertz, but for me, I think it's a it's a difficult one, as you said, because you know with um with Kai's in you know, a current form, you know, 
for, for us at the moment. I'm not sure how much I trust him, you know, to, to play him there. But I do think, you know, with the kind of player he is, I think with a, with a consistent run of games, he would be able to get back to his um, good, his good current, his good runner for me towards the end of last season. I do also think um, in terms of the way he plays, I think he's a bit tough, you know, with, with Lukaku. You know, we saw, obviously, he had his most consistent um, run of performances, you know, playing in that um, forward nine position. And I do think it may be a bit hard because obviously Lukaku likes to occupy the same positions as him. But I do think, you know, as, 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 as I said in um, other episodes, you know, too cool. I, I don't see why he he can't, you know, um, adapt the system to have it um, as having um, Kai being able to roam in those positions as well. You know, I I do think, you know, if you want to get the best out of him, he's, he's got to be in and around the penalty area. So if it was to be him to play, I would like to see like a split strike kind of thing. If maybe um, Kyle in behind, you know, being able to hold the wide positions as well. But um, in terms of what I think would probably be the most realistic, it would probably be over the next couple of games, it probably would be um, Kyle on the left and then Mount on the right, you know, because I do think, you know, having um, Kai on the right, it, it, it could it could bear dividends, but I think because of the way Lukaku plays and the positions he wants to occupy, I think it may make it a bit difficult for him, but in terms of like the current way he plays, so I'd probably go with that front three. And um, talking about him attackers, you know, obviously, you know, it's come out of, of recent that um, a, a certain Raheem Sterling, you know, he's admitting that he would, you know, if he could, you know, get regular football, you know, and it can't be undersea, he would be willing to go elsewhere. So um, I want to get your opinions on, on that, um, Tim. So um, how willing would you be to um, have him at Chelsea? You know, like he, he's obviously, you know, struggled in terms of getting game time under Pep currently. You know, we, we know how Pep is, you know, with, with his players, you know, after a couple of seasons, you know, he's he's willing to throw them away to the to the wind. You know, we saw that with Alexis, saw with Eto, we saw it with Ibrahimovic. We've seen, it, we've seen it with countless attackers. So um, how would you feel about um, seeing, you know, Raheem Sterling at Chelsea and... um? Do you do you what do you think it bears any risks or do you think the benefits just far outweigh them? Uh yeah, you have an opportunity to destabilize um kind of like your squad harmony because it's already tight for competition and you bring in another player. Um it's all a balancing act, and I think that might be one superstar or one top player too many for um Thomas Tuchel to keep the overall squad happy because we mentioned um, who should be the two that you would like to see going forward. There wasn't a mention of Hakim Ziyech and he's relatively um, content just kind of grinding in, on the training pitch trying to work. Uh, Raheem Sterling, um, I don't know if he necessarily comes in and um, when everybody's at their best, I don't necessarily think he starts because I think if everybody's on form, it's still Mason Mount and Kai Havertz because of what they bring on the defensive and um, offensive end, their ability to find space and um, be so fluid, like we saw in the first couple of minutes of the Liverpool game. Um, that is probably the best front three at the moment um, on paper. Raheem Sterling, I really, really like, but um, yeah, I think he just um, adds, a, I just think he adds another headache more so than he's clear of everybody else um, we have in that, in that position. So I would probably say no, uh, thinking with my head. What about you, Babs? Mm, for me personally, man, you know, I, I think in the way, in the current way our attack is, I think it's impossible to turn away a world-class player. I think it's absolutely impossible, especially when said player scores more than, 99% of um, our current attackers, you know, even in, even in the bad season. Um, in terms of worries, I think it could be a bit of a worry because um, he's obviously on a quite a big contract at City and um, with him, with the current age he's at, he's not obviously, he's not going to want to take a pay cut. He's probably going to want to take a pay increase. So I think that's like the potential worry. And probably um, in terms of that, aiding to the um, obvious thing that people say, you know, when a player gets to this age, what's their motivation? You know, Stern is what, he's what, one of them, three, three Premier Leagues already now. So um, it would be interesting to see, like, you know, what kind of motivation he'd, ha he'd have going forward. But I think for me personally, I I I'd, I'd have to take him, you know, like having a player, you know, in the peak of his powers, you know, being able to provide the numbers that he does simultaneously with the consistent performance that he's done for City over the last, what, four or five seasons. I think for me, like, it's just so hard, you know, to turn that down. And if it was, you know, and it probably would come at a cut price, you know, seeing as as the fact that um his stock at um, City has obviously dropped. You know, obviously he's coming, so I think he's coming to see, what, the last um couple years of his contract as well. So um, with his contract expiring 
in 2023, you know, if we were to, you know, try and go in the next summer, you know, and you have to remember the guy is still 26. So, hey, like, he's got, I think he's got a couple more years in him. So for me personally, I'd, I'd be all over that, you know. We, he could play in a false nine. He could play left wing. You play right wing, and he could play all, two of those three positions to a top top level. So, for me personally, if it was to come at a, a cut like 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 a 40, 50 million odd, odd price, I would be all over it. I would be I'd be all over it because I just don't think you can turn away a world class player, you know, like a Raheem Sterling. And I think under a manager like Tuchel, in in the system that we play, you know, whereby our our te- our two um well quote unquote ten slash wingers are so close to goal. I think he'd, I think he'd only go and flourish, and I think it'll be one of those um, signings that are quite um, astute because I don't think City can really bargain for too much money. The only thing, obviously, is that without with it being us as rivals to them, it'll be about their willingness to sell. And obviously, he's been linked with the the, the, the moves to Barca, Real Madrid, but do they have the money? So I think in terms of competition, it'll probably be between us, the Spanish teams, potentially, and maybe even a Liverpool, but. I think in terms of payment packages, I think we could we could beat all of them. So for me personally, I'd be all over that. I'd be all over. I don't know if that changed any of your any of your opinions, Timson. Anything that I said. I've got some questions for you. So go for it. Raheem, Raheem Sterling is a world class player. Is that yeah. a question? Yeah, it's, it's so you say that's so, a statement, bro. So you He's say so you, no, so I'm saying so you um you're saying Raheem Sterling is a world class player. Facts. Now, um, with that, I've I've got flashbacks to um, Leroy Sane. I think Raheem Sterling is clear of Raheem Sane, and he's got individual brilliance to um, pull his team out of sticky situations. But my concern comes from how many, um, how much of his growth and development is because of the system. Um, at City that allows him to run into spaces. Uh, he's become a threat off the ball when he was like 17, 19. He was a player that very much showed his best football when he was on the ball. But now he's um, running into spaces, receiving the ball and scoring goals as a result of his dangerous work off the ball. Now, um, will will he shine? Are, are, you, are you that confident he will shine um, outside of a pep system? Um, yep. Considering Leroy Sane, hundred percent, hundred percent. Sorry, 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 I am, I am, I am more than confident. I'm more than confident. If anything, I think the system has actually, you know, um, hindered him in, in some aspects, in terms of like his individual play, um, in terms of his ability to just like be able to be free to run that play. You know, and I think it's what we're going to see with Grealish as well at um, City. I, I do think you know he's one v one ability, even though um, is obviously you know. Um, no, I wouldn't say declined. I see. I'd say he's um he's a he's how can I say his ability hasn't declined, but his um his allowance, quote unquote, to um actually attempt dribbles has, if you get what I mean, just because of the way um Pep likes to play. Um, and I do think uh, at a Chelsea, you know, a team whereby we are obviously devoid of dribblers outside of Cow and um and Pulisic when he's when he's fit, I think the the level of which he's able to go one v one with players, I think that's something that. Is is not exactly easy to actually um compete with, and I do think that individual brilliance was something that we've we've been devoid of since we've had um Eden Hazard, you know, a couple of seasons ago. And I think a player that Sterling, he's going to just do that consistently, you know, like not just in, in terms of like getting the goals, because you know people always you know mention the fact that you know obviously you know the the goal scoring at City, you know, that's where it's come along. But I think people forget, you know, even even before Pep, you know, came in, you know, he was he was still one in three at, um, at City. He had a one in three season at 18 years old, I believe, at Liverpool as well, where he's got he got nine and 24 starts. So I do think the, the goal threat and um, the creation has is, is always been there with him. But I just think that um the platform to do it was obviously elevated at City. But I'm not saying that the platform was allowed, you know, just in terms of like him being a system player, but I just think he was able to take it by the scruff of the neck. And I think at Chelsea he'd be able to do that while simultaneously being able to um, exemplify his individual brilliance. I, and I think I just I just think that kind of sign will be will be perfect for us. I think it'll be perfect. Cool. I have no other follow-up questions. Um the passion, the um convincing argument. Um yeah, fair enough. If we're here yeah. wants to come bring him. Hey man, I'd, I'd love it, man. I'd love it. You know, he's, he's a London boy as well, so I'm, I'm sure he'd also appreciate, you know, coming back closer to his family. And um, yeah, so um, to, to round it up, we've got one listener's question from um, Luke LCH. Shout out you. He, he he wants to know um, 
would you want Hazard back at Chelsea? No. Um, yeah, I love Edin. Um, unfortunately, um, anyone wanting him is looking at it from a sentimental perspective. If you, if his name was Mark Johnson and he was just, uh, he didn't have the the career prior at Chelsea that he did, um, this wouldn't be a, this wouldn't be a discussion. Uh, well, I think that um, Hazard will probably improve based on what we've seen. He is a diminished player and he's someone that um, was so brilliant. He, he did it. He, he, he warranted or he earned the um, kind of leeway that he got from a defensive uh, tactical uh perspective so the last thing Thomas Tuchel needs is someone who's not as good as Neymar wanting kind of Neymar tactical um allowances kind of, yeah tactical license and tactical freedoms um especially if they're not going to be able to stay fit um and who knows if he'll be able to stay fit but we love Edin for what he's done but um it's a no from me I think you put it back. I think you put it in a well way. And for, for me personally, man, I think the best way to put it is like this, man. Look, man, you see the thing about the old days, very the old days, you know, like, yes, like the so, hey, man, sometimes you've got, you got to leave it in the past. Just, just leave it, man. We're, we're moving forward, you know, onwards and upwards. And, you know, with that, you know, I think that was a good, um, a good episode. But before we before I leave, I want to get your prediction you know, for the Brentford game. Um, what what are, what are you expecting from the, from the boys score, score-wise? Um, hmm. I expect us to score um, two or three, I think, uh, just to because I don't think um, Brentford will take the loss lying down um, or kind of just lie down at any spell in the game. So we'll need to score a few goals just to knock the wind out of their cells. What about yourself? I definitely agree. You know, we, we obviously saw, you know, against... Um... Um, Liverpool, sorry, as, as well as the result they got, you know, we also saw that they are quite defensively there to be got on that, you know, we, but we've also seen them be re- resolute against the likes of Wolves. So for me personally, I'm, I'm going with a confident 2 0 win. I, I think there's no excuse but to continue our form, you know, coming off, coming into, going into the international break and coming out of it. So for me personally, I'm going to have to go 2 0. And in terms of lineup, I'd be interested to see um, a lineup of um, Trev. It's probably gonna to have to be Trevor and Aspie and AC at the back three. You know, obviously there's no chance we're gonna be seeing Malang Saar. I don't know if you saw the um, training clip of Kante weaving in and out, but seeing Saar just absolutely like collapse as he's trying to make a, a, a lunging tackle it just it, it sent me into just a flurry of laughter. And I just don't want to see that anywhere near the, the starting lineup for us. The only thing he's got going for him at this point is being left footed. Um, Legit. That's what it is like. Maybe he can be like Kante's stun double, um, <laughs> but that's about that's about it at the moment. Because some I saw the tweet where he was dropped by Kante, and someone commented like, "Malang Sar is a social experiment at this point." Honestly, I I don't know I don't know what what, what planning we're doing there with him. I, I feel as though like having him here at Chelsea, I think he's going to drop his stocks even more in terms of his price because clubs are going to be seeing seeing all these highlights of him just being left for dead. So um. Yeah, I'm going to go with that and back three. In terms of wing-backs, it's got to be Chilwell coming back in alongside and Reese James on the, other, on the other flank. Um, In midfield, I'd like to see Ruben play just, for, just to have that um, extra physicality alongside Kante. I feel like that could be a, a really strong midfield to have and I feel like we're going, to, we're going to need the legs, especially against Brentford. In terms of um the front three, if Lukaku's fit, I'm going to have to go with him up top. But if he's not, I'd probably go with um, a front three of Havertz, um, Callum and Mount. I think that could be a, a, a quite a good, you know, high energetic and front three, you know, quite interchangeable as well. So for me, that would be my lineup. Yeah, that's a strong lineup. Um, I think Ben Chilwell definitely. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't even aware that Reese James was fully fit again. Um, so that's a good, that's a good boost. Uh, might be a game too soon for him. Um, I'd like to see him make some cameo appearances, to be honest, instead of throwing him straight in against a well-rested Brentford side. So um, I wouldn't be shocked if um, we we went with a different system or even Malang Sar 
as a left centre back while we went with Trev, um, right centre back, and um, Aspilicueta, right wing back. But um, yeah, ultimately, as a, as we said at the at the top of the pod, more players building upon what they did in the Southampton game, um, combined with players who did very very well um, in the um, as far as our strongest eleven goes. Mm, definitely, definitely, and yeah, I think that's the the best way to end the podcast. Um, Timson, thanks for joining me again. Always a pleasure. And peace. The greatest night in the history of Chelsea Football Club. European champions. They've beaten Bayern in their own backyard. They've found the Holy Grail. After adventure, thrown with danger. And Drogba may never play for Chelsea again. He will never be forgotten. He's in hard. on Twitter and ranting, doing the most, true say that money is power, so when you get money, keep fighting, ghost, ghost, I remember when I shot my shot, but I didn't have got so I hit the post, but next time it's a golden goal, and it- Sports Social Podcast Network.